0: Today's reading is Psalm 32, 1 through 11. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Surely the rising waters the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them you are my hiding place you will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance i will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go i will counsel you with my loving eye on you Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many of the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord, and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who have upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer that uh, we might be brought into the presence of the living Word. We're not just coming to the written Word, but we're also coming into the presence of the living Word. And it's the Spirit of God who desires to bring us into the presence of Jesus. Um, He is the one who allows us to sense that Jesus is present and for us and speaking to us. So I would like to invite you to ask the Spirit of God to do that in our midst for each other today as well, for the people sitting around you, that that would be true for them. So let's, let's pray together right now. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for bringing us here to today for the people who have, who have identified themselves as being part of this community and who have said that this is an important thing for them to do, to be part of this community, to take time out of their week and to begin their week with being part of the assembly of God's people, called out to be a light to the world. And Father, I ask that today that in our gathering that that we might be renewed and we might be reinvigorated to what it is that you've called us to do, to be in this world as people who are called to represent you. And Toward that end, I ask, Father, that you through your spirit would uh, make the living word so present to us today that Jesus himself, who is alive, who has been raised from the dead, who has ascended to your right hand, that he would be present to us in a very tangible, real way, that we would sense his voice speaking to us today as we open up your written word. And I ask that you would give us receptive hearts through your spirit. I ask that any distractions that might come into our minds and hearts and lives or that we have carried in might be brought before you, Jesus, and that you, Jesus, would show that you are adequate to handle those things. So I ask that you would free us, that we might Live into the life that you've given to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? If you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? In a culture that's seemingly obsessed with image and particularly body image, It might be safe to say that many people would choose to change something about their appearance from their wrinkles to their weight to the whiteness of their teeth. But from my conversations with people, and most recently my conversations with people who are part of this Grace community, I don't think that appearance is the one thing that most of us would change. From my observations of talking to people here, I think the thing that many people would like to change in their life is their past. Something happened in the past and it keeps you from moving into the future that Jesus has for you. Maybe it's some kind of family dysfunction that you've, you've carried with you because of the way that you've been raised. Maybe it's some kind of abuse you experienced in your family. Perhaps it's an addiction whether it's a substance addiction or a sexual addiction or some other type of addiction, a bad financial decision, perhaps it's a divorce or infidelity, whether it was yours or someone else's that affected you. Perhaps it was a missed opportunity because of a fear or perhaps because of laziness. Perhaps it was getting fired from a job because of something that you did or something you failed to do. You see, there's all kinds of possibilities. The list could go on and on and on as you're thinking about it, because as humans, we have the unique capacity to reflect on our past. Perhaps you're doing that right now. But often there is that one thing that stands out that haunts you, and you condemn yourself because of it. And I'm describing people, just to be clear, I'm describing people who can clearly state what they believe about Jesus. And they readily acknowledge their need of forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross for them. In other words, these are people who are familiar with the big ideas about God that are revealed in the pages of the Bible. But they've taken themselves out of the game. So when Jesus says in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full, they would say, yes, but. And it's the past. Specifically that one thing that haunts them, that tells them that they're disqualified from moving forward. So as a result, they go through life carrying this burden, this, this weight from the past, and they might smile and they can be pleasant, but inside they feel trapped. They often are exhausted from trying to keep an outward appearance that they think that others want to see. Now, they still might attend church and they might occasionally volunteer, but they don't see themselves as a model of anything worth imitating. As a result, they keep silent about Jesus and they aren't engaged in His mission. If you feel I've described you in part or in whole, then I want to speak to you this morning. More specifically, I hope Jesus might speak to you about that one thing that one thing in your past. And it's my prayer that he might speak to you and bring you encouragement and bring you hope today. Because these, need, these words need to be from Jesus because as Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser of our brethren. John 8.44, Jesus says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. So the enemy of God's kingdom knows that the best way to prevent the advancement of God's kingdom and the spreading of the life that Jesus offers is to accuse God's people to the point that they take themselves out of partnering with God because they don't believe that God is for them. So in bringing this to you today, this is also an act of declaring war. Declaring war on Satan's tactics, on Satan's strategy that is absolutely hamstringing the church. As I prepared this, as the Lord laid this on my heart this week, I knew there would probably be spiritual opposition. And I just kept on trying to be very aware of what I was doing all week, personally, personally, uh, my words, the way I was living, and just expecting that it, it eventually something was going to happen. Because Satan does not want this to get out. He doesn't want this message to get out. He doesn't want you to hear. So I'm telling you right now that in the next, I'll probably be speaking for about 12 to 15 more minutes. So I'm giving you a, a framework on how long this might last. In the next 12 to 15 minutes, you can expect to be bombarded with accusations and lies. If you're someone who's wrestling with something in your past, then the one thing that the enemy of God's kingdom does not want is he does not want you listening to what I'm about ready to tell you. Because if it freed you up, it would free you up to be someone who believes that God can use you. And you would no longer be sitting on the sidelines watching but he is an accuser and he's a liar. So in the next 12 to 15 minutes, expect that maybe at some point you're either your mind is going to go off and you're going to be thinking about something that has absolutely nothing to do with life in terms of a meaningful life that Jesus gives and or you're going to experience lies, accusations. At least you know who they're coming from. It's not going to be me. And so because of that, I want to pray again. Now that you know what the stakes are, maybe you will pray with me as well, okay? Let's pray. Father, we are inadequate for ourselves to step into this realm, into this realm in which Satan wants to neuter and wants to neutralize your kingdom from advancing. And so I ask that, that through the power of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that you would work in our lives today, that we perhaps would look back one day and say that this is a turning point. That we would step into whatever it is that you want us to hear and we would embrace it and we would realize where it's coming from and we would reorient our lives around it because you are the one we can trust. So I ask now that you would speak to each of us today very clearly and that the obstacles would be cleared up for that to take place. In your name, amen. So I want to draw your attention to someone in the Bible who talks openly about his past. And he specifically talks about this one thing in his past that would easily threaten his future. His Hebrew name is Saul. We know him by his Greek name, Paul. I'd like to invite you to turn to a letter that he wrote to a young man by the name of Timothy. It's 1 Timothy in your Bibles. The blue ones underneath your seat are available and it's page 991 in those Bibles. Okay? 1 Timothy. I'm going to be reading verses 12 to 16. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. Paul is writing, he says, I thank Him who has given me strength Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost but i received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost jesus christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the king of ages immortal invisible the only god be honor and glory forever and ever amen now just as an aside before we go into the look at the specifics of this text if you listen to that text being read, here's a good reason to trust that the Bible is an authentic historical account. When you read the Bible, what you realize is that the Bible doesn't make its heroes really heroic. When you read the Israel scriptures, you see the heroes that, that are supposed to be heroes being flawed people. And the Bible doesn't hide the flaws. You come to the New Testament, you see followers of Jesus he says to Peter, on your confession, I'm going to build my church. And then the next minute, he's rebuking Peter and calling him Satan. The flaws of the heroes are not hidden. They're portrayed in all their three dimensions. You would expect if this was a document that was that was just created out of just somebody's imagination, they would make their heroes ultra-heroic. The fact that this is such a realistic document tells us that this is an historical account. This is really the way things happen. This morning I want to look at just one verse, really the key verses that I want to look at is verse 16. And Paul says, But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Two words jump out. The first is Display. It's like God is saying to us, don't miss this. Here's a display that I want you to see. And then he follows up with the word example. And that could also be translated as model or pattern as well. So God points to Paul and he says to us, this is a model for you. This is a model for you. Now, if you're thinking along and you're thinking about this text, you might ask the question, really, are you sure? How could Paul be a model for anyone? Especially one that God would choose to display. God chooses to display him. And yet, look at the way that he describes himself. First of all, he describes himself as a blasphemer. That refers to evil speech directed against God. Specifically, in this case, against Jesus. You see, Paul thought he was honoring the God of his Jewish fathers by blaspheming Jesus. And we read about that in Acts 26. He then says that he describes himself as a persecutor, and that word carries with it the image of a hunter. If you know anything about Paul's background, he hunted Christians all the way up into Damascus in Syria, hunting them down to persecute them. Again, that's in Acts 26. And then he describes himself as insolent, and that word means violently arrogant. It's the Greek word from which we get the English word hubris or pride. In Galatians 1.23, Paul says that he violently persecuted Christians. So my question is, how is Paul an example? How is Paul a model for anyone, especially one that God would choose to display? Well, I think in reading this text, what strikes me is that he's an example for all who feel that their particular failure or their particular sin is beyond God's mercy and grace. See, Paul's personal story of persecuting followers of Jesus is that one thing for him. It's that one failure, it's that one sin that he mentions in other places. Keep your finger here, if you would, and turn back to Acts 26 you would please, Acts 26, where you see uh, his reference to his past, and he's giving his defense before Agrippa, the Roman official, and he says in Acts 26, verse 9, we're picking it up, so he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when, they were put, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I per- persecuted them even to foreign cities. This guy was an animal, man. He was a beast. This isn't just some kind of this lame nice kind of Christian Paul. This is a guy who was very, very determined to honor the God of his people. First Corinthians 15. If you look there, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul has memories of what he did. Those memories didn't go away even after conversion. He's talking about the appearances of, of Jesus uh, in, this, in this text in First Corinthians 15. And he says, he talks about all the people that Jesus appeared to, verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Again, there's his recollection of his past. And what comes up again and again is that one thing for Paul. Here's that one thing that marks his past, is that he persecuted followers of Jesus. And yet God showed mercy to Paul as a model for us all. God showed mercy to Paul as a model for us all. Listen again to the words of 1 Timothy 1.16. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience As an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. See, Paul's experience with God is proof that if he found mercy and grace from God, then I, then you, then we need to rethink our paths along those same lines. You follow me? In other words, if Paul could be forgiven of his past, if he could be restored to God, if he could be given freedom to move forward in life and to be greatly used by God, then that one thing that's crippled you, that one thing that's crippled me, is not beyond God's grace and His forgiveness, His restoration. But the question is this. Will I, will you, will we trust that God is pleased with what, with what Jesus has done for us? That ultimately is the big question. Will we trust that God is pleased with what Jesus has done for us? I've said this before that no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you talk to yourself. And uh, obviously or hopefully this is an internal conversation. <laughs> Otherwise people might wonder about your sanity. But it's true all day long you and I are are processing, we're talking to ourselves about what's going on inside of us and what's going on around us. I mean, you've done it ever since you walked in here. Perhaps you looked around and you were noticing someone and you started having an internal conversation with yourself about that person. They're oblivious, of course, that they're the topic. But we do that all the time. It's just part of how we live. And you talk to yourself about your past, you talk to yourself about your future, you talk to yourself about your present. And you're saying things in those conversations that are shaping your hopes and your desires and shaping the way that you make decisions in life. I mean, that's what therapists often engage in is is getting out of you the things that you're saying to yourself. They're listening to the internal conversation you have with yourself that's shaping you and they're often challenging it or trying to help you rewrite it in a different way. But that's something we're doing all the time as human beings at a very rapid level, at a very sophisticated level, and oftentimes at an unchallenged level. Because if the truth were known, most of us are not known by anybody to any real deep degree. And so no one really knows the level of those narratives that are going on and how we're talking to ourselves about so many things. So my question to you is this, what are you saying about your life? What are you saying to yourself about your past and about your future? Does your talk stimulate discouragement? Does it stimulate despair? Does it lead to God being distant? Does it lead to God being removed? How Jesus-centered is your conversation with yourself? How often does Jesus come into the picture? How big is Jesus to you? Do you tell yourself what's true of God's grace? My final question is this. How do you know if you've encountered the mercy and the grace and the love of God? How do you know if you've truly encountered that? Here's my answer your past becomes a reason to praise God. It seems kind of counterintuitive, but it's one of those things that sneaks up on you. Your past becomes a reason to praise God. Instead of allowing your past to condemn you in the present and to disqualify you from partnering with God in, your wor- in the world, your past can be a reason to praise God. Look at what Paul does in his letter, in verse 12 of chapter 1 of First Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Then verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You hear Paul? He's praising God for his past. It doesn't mean ignoring the past. It doesn't mean covering up the past. Paul freely puts his past out there for people to see. And he doesn't diminish it. He doesn't gloss over it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He puts it out there as it really is. But it's a question of what he does with it. He doesn't conclude, I'm disqualified from God's mercy, grace, or love because of what I've done. Instead, he marvels at God's grace. He looks at his past, and then he looks at God's grace, and he marvels at God's grace. And you know what? That is one of the things that, that caused Paul, Paul to be the person he was. He could never get over God's grace. He never could get over God's grace. And it's that grace that had freed him to live fully into the life that Jesus had called him to live into, the life that Jesus gives, the life that Jesus gives to all of us, the life that Jesus calls all of us to step into. It's there through his grace. So my question to you this morning is, do you want to step into that freedom? Because if you do, it just begins with simply telling Jesus that. Telling Jesus that, You want to experience the freedom from trusting what He's done for you. It's about being Jesus focused and having Jesus at the focus of your attention, not your past, not your life, but Jesus. And trusting His grace that it's sufficient for you, that it frees you to move forward and to truly be living into the life that He gives to you and He calls you into. It might involve saying these words God, I receive your mercy, your grace and your love for that one thing in my past. Have you ever done that? If I've been talking to you today and that one thing has been popping up while I've been talking, have you, told, have you said to Jesus, I receive your love and your grace and your forgiveness for that one thing in my past? See, that act of faith may be the one act that frees you to move forward. but it involves saying to Jesus, I want to move, move forward into the life that you give. I want to move forward. I'm going to let you in on something behind the scenes. We were, um, we were supposed to be having the bread and cup today, but we, there were some signals that got confused. And uh, so, as you can see, nothing to offer you all today. <laughs> but we'll do it again. But as we are praying, as we do before we come out here, one of the things that the Lord seemed to impress upon me is, as I was just sitting there in the quietness is that maybe this is a day for giving you all the opportunity to do something bodily. You know, just as we come down bodily and we receive the bread and the cup, and there's something bodily, that t- there's something that happens when we engage our bodies, not just our minds. Because God made us as embodied human beings, not just minds on a stick. So there's something to be said at times for embodying what we're saying. God, I want to move forward into the life that you give to me. I want to experience the freedom that you offer to me, and I want to trust that your grace, that your love, that your forgiveness is enough for my one thing in my past. And so because we don't have the bread and cup today, and it's an opportunity to be embodied, what I want to do is I'm going to invite Michael Hoke, to come up. He had planned on singing a song over us, just as kind of a prayer over us. So, Mike, you want to come up now? As he comes up, what I want to do is give you an opportunity to, to, if that is your desire, to step into this freedom. You say, you know what? I want to take a step today. I want to embody this. I want to, by my body, say, I, God, am serious about taking you at your word. I want to receive your grace, your love, fresh and I want to say that I am trusting you for it and I want to step into that freedom. And I want to invite you to just come down here and then, then we'll pray. We'll pray for you and then you go back to your seat. Not going to embarrass you anyway. not going to make you, it's not, you're not coming up here and saying that anything other than just, it's a ch- chance to say to God, I want to step into that and I want to do that. I want to have my body match my profession, my confession today. And there'll be others up here, too. So it's just a fresh way of of taking a step of faith. Father, we are your people. You didn't call us because we are so spectacular, because we have our lives all cleaned up, because we look beautiful to the outward appearance because we're so talented. You've chosen to take broken vessels and to remake them into the likeness of your Son. I thank you for your love. We thank you for your love. And in standing here today, we want to together say that to you that we are trusting that what you have done for us, Father, through your Son Jesus and through the giving of your Spirit is enough to cover our past. That that one thing we want to leave behind, we want to acknowledge that it has been there, but we want to leave it behind. We want to walk away in freedom. And so I ask that your Spirit would blow fresh life into the lives of the people who are standing here. That they might even feel it right now. The the burden, the weight drop from them whatever it is that keeps them from moving forward and living freely into the life that you give to them, knowing that your smile is upon them, free them, free us. And bring us into that life that you give to us, that life that you offer to us. We bless you, we praise you for how you want to show your love to us. So I ask that the enemy might be defeated in the hours to come, the days to come, that wherever any of these people hear his rotten, filthy lies, his nasty, foul breath, breathing accusations, that he might be defeated as they turn to you, Father, and the grace that has been won through the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's in your victory that we go forward. In your name, Jesus, we thank you.
2: Amen.